Let's go to the movies, an award season podcast. Welcome to season three, episode seven. Now that the Oscar nominations have come out, I'm going to get back to reviewing the movies that I've been seeing that are going to be nominated this year. And on this episode, we are getting a little musical and I'm going to be discussing West Side Story and Encanto. We are starting with West Side Story on today's episode. This was directed by Steven Spielberg. Currently has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 92%. The plot is that it follows the Jets and the Sharks and the rivalry between those two groups. And that rivalry is heating up as Tony and Maria fall in love with each other and hope to calm the tensions, but instead fuel it even more. Obviously, we all know who Steven Spielberg is, but... Just as a refresher of some of his most recent works in chronological order, moving backwards. Uh, He actually hasn't directed a film since Ready Player One in 2018, which I didn't realize. Just because he is attached to so many projects in some capacity that I kind of just forgot. He hasn't actually directed anything. Prior to that, he did The Post, The BFG, Bridge of Spies, and then prior to that, his last director film was Lincoln in 2012. So he kind of comes out with the big hitters is kind of the vibe I'm getting. Um, This is, of course, the second film adaptation of West Side Story. It was first on the stage in 1957 and then made into a film in 1961. The first film did go on to win 10 Oscars, including Best Picture. The original music is by Leonard Bernstein with lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Now, the current film that just came out went into development in 2014. Tony Kusher began the screenplay in 2017, and then Spielberg was hired on in January of 2018, with casting beginning in that following September. And then filming began in July 2019. The world premiere was on November 19, I'm sorry, November 29th, 2021, which was actually three days after Stephen Sondheim's death, which I did not realize either until doing a little research. The theatrical release was in December 10th of 2021, which was delayed a full year due to the pandemic. But kind of in a nice twist of fate, it ended up coinciding with the original film's 60th anniversary. So kind of, in my opinion, worked out a little better from that perspective. Why was Spielberg attracted to this project, you might wonder, as I did. Uh, He actually has said that this is the first piece of popular music that was ever allowed in his home as a child and that he just completely fell in love with it. And so because of that, he ended up dedicating the film to his father, who actually passed away during the production. So unfortunately, never got to see the finished product. So this was clearly just a passion project for him and a nostalgia factor. And I think that's really awesome that he has such clout and power in the the industry that he can just kind of do whatever he wants at this point, just based on the things that he enjoys. But that all kind of shines through in this production and how it was filmed. We'll get into that a little bit more shortly. And then just as another side note, Rita Moreno, who was in the original production or the film production, serves as an executive producer as well as has an acting role. This is also Rachel Zegler's 
first feature role as Maria, and she knocks it out of the park. But I will also touch on that shortly. <laughs> Something that was very interesting to me was that they did actually film on location in Harlem, other areas of Manhattan, and the Flatlands in Brooklyn. They also filmed a lot in Patterson, New Jersey, at a set that was built specifically for the film. And it shot for just a total of 79 days, which after you see this movie and like the magnitude of the sets and the costuming and the choreography, it kind of actually blows my mind that it only took 79 days to do all of that. Now, they did not use the original choreography from the 1961 adaptation, but they did pay homage to it. And John Williams was actually initially approached to do the score, but it ultimately went to David Newman. And David Newman has done lots and lots and lots of movies that you know. Uh, just a few that stuck, stuck out to me. Anastasia, The Brave Little Toaster, Matilda, Ice Age, The Sandlot, Mighty Ducks. So basically just like any notable film from your childhood, he had a hand in. Uh, kind of in keeping with the thread of the music, something that was super interesting to learn was that all of the songs were sung with playback, except One Hand, One Heart, Somewhere, and A Boy Like That, I Have a Love. Those were sung live. Portions of Maria were also sung live, per Ansel Elgord's request, just to kind of create more of that emotion in that performance. And so I think it's kind of cool that it's like a hybrid of playback live and a little bit of both in different renditions and that's doesn't I guess it doesn't sound like a lot if you're not too invested in reading up on things like this as I usually am but that does not tend to happen most movies that feature music is done in the playback format just to make sure that the sound quality and the syncing matches up a little better so I think it kind of speaks a lot to the director even that they want to go for that raw emotion and just doing it live. If you recall, when Les Mis came out, the film version with Anne Hathaway, uh, that was a huge, 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 huge step forward in doing music live to tape instead of doing it playback. It was like one of the first ones that really ever did that, and it was just this huge like hubbub about it. And so I do appreciate the trend that it's becoming a little more commonplace in films. Um, it's also noted that this screenplay is actually closer to the stage show than it is to the 1961 film. And there is a very, very big theatrical vibe and aesthetic to it. So that made perfect sense when I read that. Now, I did see this uh, some time ago. I've been out of town before I had the chance to record this episode. So I've had a little more time to just sit with the movie. But my immediate reaction walking out of theater was that I really enjoyed it. And I honestly don't think that's really changed much. Like, I would gladly go see it again. <clears throat> I would gladly watch it when it comes out to streaming. Like, it was just really, it felt like a really well done film. I hadn't seen the 1961 film in many, many, many years, so I kind of didn't have like a really fresh comparison, which I don't think hurt 
because I was able to kind of experience it with fresh eyes, kind of forget what was supposed to happen, you know, like plot by plot. And so I kind of think that was almost beneficial in my viewing experience. I did play this music in middle school orchestra. As I have mentioned in the past, I was in an orchestra through school. We played a lot of show tunes and stage music, and this was one of them. And this was one that I also enjoyed playing on the strings. So I was always a little more inclined to it just from that perspective. And I think that also kind of worked in its favor upon this viewing. Uh, The thing that immediately grabbed my attention watching this movie was the cinematography. I saw this movie with two friends. Probably like five minutes into the film, one of them leaned over to me and was like, was this film digitally or was this on film? Like, there's just something about this. Like, the quality is so good. It can't be digital. So it even caught the eye of someone that's not as dorky about film, such as myself, which speaks volumes. Uh, it, I best describe it as it kind of giving off this look of a movie from the 50s or the 60s, like that era, but just like clearly filmed with like a modern camera it's kind of hard to explain but like it's one of those things that once you see it you understand exactly what I mean by that it just kind of captures that aesthetic so perfectly and what is most interesting about that is that it was all done purely with just the use of lighting and the use of shadows so it straight up was just somebody had the skill to manipulate the lighting and such to create this look for the film, which is honestly more impressive to me than if they actually had used some other kind of filming technique to manipulate it. The cinematographer is Janusz Kaminski, and I think that the cinematography is what made it so distinct. Um, and I would be very upset to see if it didn't take home the Oscar for that just it was it it was really 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 beautiful to watch uh so yeah like that aspect of it mixed with the choreography style kind of like I said paying that homage to the old film and stage show it really really gave it just that old film vibe and I also got a lot of Gene Kelly vibes from it uh which is never a bad thing and Maybe that could kind of help give a a good mental image of kind of the way I'm describing this. So just picture Gene Kelly dancing and kind of like the way his films feel. And I feel like that was captured really well in West Side Story. Um, The way it was edited together also added that nice element because they played a lot with those shots that had the different shadows and the different lighting, like one that was very striking image to me was when the two gangs were starting their rumble and you get like an overhead shot with the shadows approaching each other before you actually see the people. And that is honestly one of the shots that has stuck with me since I've seen it. Um, touching a little more on the choreography, the dance sequences were excellent. There was just this insane level of physicality that I noted. Even in the actual movie screening, I leaned over to one of my friends and mentioned that. I was just like, 
this is really impressive. As someone who can't really dance that well, it was really impressive. Kind of made me think of how in La La Land, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling were lauded for learning all the dances and like that's why they were nominated for their Oscars and such. And it's interesting to me how sometimes it seems like that gets so much attention as part of the performance and other times it doesn't. Kind of feels like this one isn't getting quite the same level of attention as other movies that kind of fit in this realm, but it's definitely very impressive. The acting, singing was all great. A lot of fresh faces in this film that brought a great energy to their performances. Um, like Rachel Zegler, as I mentioned, Ariana DeBose, just to name a few. Something else that was interesting to me was that the scenes were played out fully in Spanish or a mix of Spanish and English. They didn't use subtitles. They didn't like slow down the speed of how they were speaking. They just were speaking and they just wanted you to follow it. They weren't trying to like dumb it down or pander to a specific audience. I had read that Spielberg noted that this decision was actually made out of respect of inclusivity of having a total Latinx cast playing the Sharks, and he didn't want to give the English the power over Spanish with the subtitles. He wanted to respect the language enough to not subtitle it. And I thought that was a really unique choice because it did really immerse you into each side of the quote-unquote rivalry. And it allowed you to connect with those characters and like who they actually were and kind of the way they lived and the culture that they had. And it really showed the difference between the two groups. So you kind of understood why they were kind of at butting heads the whole time. And I was trying to think of anything in recent years that kind of did something similar. And I didn't. I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head where it was so prominent that they were speaking two different languages. I mean, obviously, Spanish is not a hard language to pick up on if you are familiar with it in some kind of capacity. Like, you are kind of able to grasp the context, if not the full sentences that they are speaking. But it did just kind of add that level of reality to it. Something else that we noted, we being my two friends that I saw this with, as we were leaving the theater, was that it's just very striking how the tensions between the groups still seem very relevant in 2022. This story is based in the 50s, and it feels like it could have literally been based right now. And that uh, made me feel kind of sad. 60 years later, still relatable. On that note, though, I do think the fact that it is still relatable makes it an easy choice as something Steven Spielberg felt was the right time to do right now. It wasn't going to feel incredibly outdated. There was still going to be some string that you could pull, that you could connect with and identify with and empathize with. Um, I did forget about the Romeo and Juliet aspect of the story. So if you aren't remembering that aspect, that it's kind of based on that, the love story does feel quite rushed. Like they meet, they gaze at each other, then they literally kiss, and then they're just like, let's run away now. And you have to remember the context, of course, the timing, 
that it is based on Romeo and Juliet or else it's just kind of like slow down crazy. You're like 14. Cool it. <laughs> but the acting and the chemistry between Rachel Zegler and Ansel Elgort did kind of help you root for them and kind of grounded you into that relationship. So it wasn't just so flippant and them just kind of being these spaced out kids. <laughs> and on that note, I did also forget how the story ended since I hadn't seen the original film in so long. I obviously knew it was going to be tragic since it is based on Romeo and Juliet, but I didn't remember the exact sequence of events. But I did think in this film, Tony's death scene was insanely intense. Like, I jumped out of my seat when he got shot. Just the way it was framed and, like, the level of the audio. So it was pretty solid. Like, they got me. And the whole, all the final scenes were really strong. Like, Ansel Elgort losing his mind over Maria dying. Solid. Believable. You, like, felt the anguish. Rachel Zegler, can't speak enough about her. Like, she was really, really great. I'm excited to see more from her in the future. And Ariana DeBose was fantastic. She just kind of lights up the screen. I saw the episode of SNL she hosted before I saw this movie. So I kind of got a little taste of her style and personality. So I think that was kind of cool. And then uh, she's in Schmigadoon also on Apple TV. And she's really good in that which I didn't even put together that it was her until after the fact. But yeah, she was great. And um, I'm really glad that she got nominated for an acting award. I think that's really awesome. Just the fresh talent getting recognized. I always really enjoy that. This whole movie honestly just felt like a love letter to West Side Story. And it really did give you a feeling of nostalgia. Just really wonderful, really skillful, just really beautiful filmmaking. Um, it is eventually going to end up on Disney Plus. There was some issue initially with where it was going to end up. It was either going to be Disney Plus or HBO Max. That just had to do with some of the distribution contracts and such and who owned what. And But Disney Plus takes the cake. And now, obviously, it has already been nominated for several awards. Initially, these were my predictions before the nominees came out, was that it would be Best Picture, Best Directing. Best Acting, Best Score, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, and Best Production Design. And it did take most, if not all of those. It ended up getting seven nominations in total. And I think it's probably going to obviously take home something. My hope is that it would get Cinematography, Production Design. If, at the least, at least those two. And I'll be good. Um, but yeah, that is West Side Story. It is a lovely film. Worth watching if you like musicals. If you saw the original and want to compare the two. Or if you're a fan of Spielberg. Or if you are just a fan of film in general. West Side Story. Probably still in some theaters. Definitely on Disney Plus very, very soon. And with that, we will move right into Encanto which was directed by Byron Howard and Jared Bush and currently has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90%. And this film is currently on Disney+. Plus. Now, this plot follows the magical, magical family 
specifically Maribel, who has no special gifts, but ultimately is the one that is destined to help save her family's magic from vanishing. These directors have not done too, too much. Um, Byron Howard has done Zootopia, Tangled, and Bolt, and Jared Bush also co-directed Zootopia with him. This is his second feature that he's co-directing with. And of course, the music is by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Again, one of those blurred lines where you kind of just assume Lin-Manuel directs this film, but he does not just the, mu- just the music. But he's definitely carving a name for himself as a Disney powerhouse, as he now has done that and Moana, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you go to Disney World and watch the fireworks show that is currently happening there, you hear a lot of Moana songs, and that is just a testament to him that it's already a prominent place in their fireworks show. Because I remember when Frozen came out, Let It Go was immediately in their fireworks show, so they just really embrace whatever is hot at the moment. Now, this is actually the 60th film that was produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios, um, which I thought was kind of cool. I didn't actually know that. The project was in development as early as 2016. Byron Howard and Jared Bush wanted their next film to be a musical after they did Zootopia together. So in 2018, the filmmakers went on a research trip to Columbia for the film to kind of take in the vibe and the culture and atmosphere so they could kind of capture all of that. By June 2020, the title was revealed, and then the film was released Thanksgiving 2021. It had a 30-day exclusive theatrical release before it hit Disney+. Plus. During production, Disney was actually hesitant to include so many family members in the movie. Um, And that is what led to Lin-Manuel Miranda writing the opening song to prove that that many family members could be introduced simultaneously and people would be able to follow them. I will get into a little more on that in a moment because I have some opinions. But I do still think that was interesting. He was kind of basically like challenge accepted. Let me tell you all about these people. And unless you've been living under a rock, you do know that We Don't Talk About Bruno was the number one song on the charts for some time, surpassing A Whole New World, which hit number one in 1993, and also surpassed Let It Go and Colors of the Wind, all of which are fantastic songs. And I don't quite know if, in my mind, We Don't Talk About Bruno is a number one song. Not to say that it's not a bad song, but a whole new world, people. Let's come on now. (laughs) That's a whole other debate. Which one is your favorite? Do you think We Don't Talk About Bruno is one of the number one Disney songs of all time? Or do you think it's just catchy enough and there isn't much else Disney music that's been coming out lately that it just kind of stuck? It was a little earworm. All the kids are watching it. All the TikTokers were using it. Different times. Raises an interesting debate, though. Um, Dos Oraguitas, which is featured in the flashback scene of the abuela when she was younger, bringing the family across the river. Now, that song was written entirely in Spanish, and that's actually Lin-Manuel Miranda's first song ever written entirely in that way. And that was actually this mission, excuse me, the submission for the Oscars. So they didn't even submit We Don't Talk About Bruno. They submitted that song because it's more unique, more distinctive, 
more impactful, really, for Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, of course, it has been nominated for original song. So if you saw the nominations and you were like, hey, wait, what about the Bruno song? Well, literally, they did not submit it. (laughs) So there was not going to be a chance it was nominated. But on that note, I do think it's kind of cool that this song was picked over that one. Something with a little more substance and less of just like what was the earworm of the year. I went into this movie very behind the crowd. The hype level was intense. Everyone was talking about the song. Like, I already knew the hook for We Don't Talk About Bruno before I even saw it. Um, And I think sometimes that kind of ruins a viewing experience when the hype is that high because you almost have a higher expectation than you should. Sometimes it pays off. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm going to preface this by saying the last Disney animated film that really struck a chord with me that I love, like, deep in my heart that I would rewatch any day is Coco. And so I have yet to see a movie from Disney Animation or Pixar, we'll just kind of lump that all together, that has struck chord in quite the same way. And I don't know if it's just partly because I saw Coco in the theater and it was just such an engrossing experience. I saw Encanto like on a couch and I just, I don't know, something about it. I feel like it's like, It captures your attention a little less in my head. I don't, I enjoyed it as a film, but I also don't feel like it quite lived up to all the hype. I don't necessarily think I would care if I saw it again. Like if I, if it was on TV or if someone hadn't seen it and we were all watching it, cool. But I don't know that I would make a point to watch it every year like I do with Coco, which I usually watch around Halloween just because of Dia de los and. I don't feel like Encanto really captured me in that same way. Um, I felt like the plot was a little hard for me to latch onto, and the the resolution felt a little rushed. Kind of felt like they were building a little more of a mystery with like what was going on with Maribel and Bruno, and like what was the actual reason that the magic was being lost, and it just kind of, for how I viewed it, didn't really feel like it delivered fully. But I did appreciate the message in the film of not defining yourself by one thing. And just because your family sees you one way doesn't mean that's all that you are. Like you can always become more than like what you're being boxed in as. I also appreciated the sentiment um, that families have a lot of cracks in their relationships, which was literally portrayed in this film as their house cracking apart. But you just stick with your family and you support each other anyway because you are family. So I really do like those like strong family messages that Disney always provides. I guess obviously because it is Disney, this is a shoe-in statement. The animation was of course exquisite. The detail is astounding. Like if you just think about like how far CGI has come since like Toy Story, it's it, it blows your mind. Like the one little boy, his hair, like the little curls in his hair. It's like you can see every strand of hair almost. Like that's just wild. So like you cannot knock Disney animation at all for how beautiful this film is. Music, of course, fabulous too. 
Lin-Manuel Miranda vibes completely. Um, for as much as I feel kind of put off that Bruno, or we don't talk about Bruno, has become the number one song, it is very, very catchy. And it did help to finally hear the context after I had been hearing it everywhere else for the past several weeks. But that is kind of a point that I wanted to make that I did mention I would kind of touch a little more on, is that I think this song is very contextual. You have to kind of understand the the story, like who Bruno is and why they don't want to talk about him, and that they haven't been talking about him. I don't think it stands alone very well. Like, you can listen to A Whole New World completely alone. You don't even need to know what the movie is, and that movie, or I'm sorry, that song will kind of hit you in your feels. Um, my husband didn't watch this movie, but he wanted to listen to the song, or I guess I wanted him to listen to the song so he would kind of understand like what the deal was. And I literally had to explain to him the context because he listened to it and was just kind of like, I don't think I really even followed what they were talking about. And so I think that element of it is why it's hard for me to like fully embrace it as being one of the number one Disney songs ever. And that's just me being, I guess, uh, like um, against the grain. <laughs> it is very good, though. Like, please, please don't get me wrong. It's I honestly think some of the other ones were a little better. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed. I forget all of the titles of them at the moment. But the one where the strong sister was singing and the drip, drip, drip part like that sounded very much like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Sounded like something that probably could have been in Hamilton, if I'm being completely honest. And I did enjoy it. And I mean, I put the soundtrack on in the car to listen to it separate from the movie. And they all still sounded pretty solid. So, I think uh, growing up in the 90s, having all the 90s Disney movies, it's like you can't help but compare. And so that's just kind of where I stand with all that. But again, it is, it's a very solid movie. It's a very cute message. It's a very um, family-centered story. It's got a different vibe than a lot of the other Disney films, for sure. Uh, At the time of my viewing, I predicted that this would get nominated for animated film, best song, and best score. It did get nominated for two out of the three. It did not get nominated for Best Score, which I think it could have. Oh, I'm sorry. It did. I am so wrong. It did get nominated for all of those things. (laughs) Best Animated, Best Score, and Best Song. So I did predict that pretty well. Very music forward. Obviously, that's why it fell into place as it did. Uh, But yeah, I am pretty confident that it's likely going to win Best Animated Film, just kind of the way things fall, even though I think Luca had a different animated quality to it. This just kind of feels like Frozen did, where it was kind of just like the movie of the time, and it almost just feels like everyone expects it to win. So I guess we'll have to see kind of how that one plays out, and I'll be very curious to see if it wins best song, since it is the song submission that was less talked about. I guess we'll see. Uh, but that is Encanto, currently on Disney+. Plus. Check it out if you like Disney movies. And check it out if you like Lin-Manuel Miranda. 
Or just check it out if you're trying to watch all the animated films this year because it's not that hard to do anymore since everything's so easily available. On the next episode, I will be discussing Belfast and Coda. Thank you for listening today and for joining me on yet another trip to the movies. Thank you.